Amen. From Lake Charles, Louisiana, a man that I love very, very much, who in my critical years, young life, was my father's assistant pastor. This man is a great Christian, great singer, and a great preacher. Welcome to the pulpit, Brother Merle Ewing. Would you do that? Thank you, my beloved brother, more than just a casual acquaintance. Anthony, I suppose, is more like a brother to me than just a friend. To my esteemed brother and sister Mangan, to my district superintendent, whom I love deeply from early days in my life, he was the best man in my wedding, that tells you anything. And to all of those who have spoken before me, to God be praised and honored that I would be invited or included in such a gathering as this, to be a participant, much less a speaker. I'd like so very much to be used of the Lord this afternoon. I realize that we have had some of the most beautiful emotional experiences with God already. We have heard some of the greatest preaching that you'll ever hear. And for me to stand in this pulpit this afternoon after you have praised and worshiped and had such spiritual highs this morning and then I had a chance to go eat. For all practical purposes, it's nap time. <clears throat> but if God would help us, I feel like that Perhaps even nap time could be turned into praise time. I won't deal a lot with preliminary remarks. Just know that I am counted the greatest honor and privilege to be numbered with God's people. And if you could just let me talk to you and preach to you out of my heart. Just be me. I won't try to step in anybody else's shoes or won't try to mimic or be a challenge or a threat to anybody that's been here. But I guess the coach today that's calling the shots for the team. I think he's in touch with the owner of the team. And he's been doing some pretty good calling the shots. And he knew what I could do before I got up here, and he knew what I couldn't do. And uh, he knows that 
I still swing at the same kind of pitches. So here I am. For whatever purpose I'm supposed to play in this, here I'm is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But how many of you feel with me that perhaps the Lord would like to share some more with us? First Samuel, third chapter, verses one through four, there's a scripture reading that I'd like to share with you. And I'll I'll rush through the reading here, but just just get the gist of it, if you will. And the child, Samuel, ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, but he could not see. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and where Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. Understand this is an episode in the life of the first statement, remember, and the child Samuel. I want to turn also to Chronicles chapter 34, Second Chronicles. I want to read verse 1, 2, and a portion of 3. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, would you say that phrase with me, while he was yet young? I want to talk to you today, and if you want to name this or refer to it by a particular topic, best I can come up with is just refer to it as early altars. Would you say that with me? Early altars. I want us to ask God. God knew from the beginning who would be here what at this point would yet be needed. And I humbly submit myself to the will of God and knowing that without God giving me something to say, what I would say would be worthless. But would you ask God to anoint the lips of his feeble servant, that he would anoint our ears to hear the word of the Lord, that he would melt our hearts together. Let's pray. Father, in your holy name, in your holy and righteous name, 
ikataya talabahaya. Yedabo yokondalabahashaka. I love you. I love you. I love you. I magnify your name. Anoint the lips of your feeble servant. Anoint our ears to hear the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Melt our hearts together in the presence of the Lord. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you're seated, if you would just simply, you understand, you understand the setting. Now, you can sit back for a nap and make it hard on me. But if you love me, let's perk up together. Make it easy on me, would you? Amen. And I am falling right into the trap that Brother Huntley told about. I'll get in gear here in a minute. And now, ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. You may be sick. <laughs> what I am feeling to speak to you today was born in my heart just uh, just last week. Pardon me, pardon me. It was this week, Monday of this of this very week, before we uh, left town. It was a precious young couple that just came to the Lord in our church. And uh, when I say precious, I'm talking about quality people and with a great spirit. When I tell you the little bit about the story, you'll understand. I think, uh, I think both of them, if I am knowing the story right, she is a registered nurse. He is an assistant perhaps in the operating room area, both of them employed, I believe, at the hospital. We have another young lady in our church that's a new convert. She has been in the church now. Her name is Tammy. She's been in the church for a while. Tammy has one of the most vivacious personalities of anybody you'll ever meet. That girl she could, uh, she could light a fire of enthusiasm, and and uh, uh, well, she can she can just walk into a room, and her vivaciousness causes everybody in there to come alive. Just, she just gives birth to enthusiasm. She is that way on her job. She's that way everywhere she is. She's that way worshiping the Lord in church. And <clears throat> Sally young lady that I referred to earlier. Sally was a fellow nurse at the same hospital with Tammy, both of them registered nurses, I believe. And all of a sudden, of course, Tammy has been praying and believing God now that God would use her, give her souls. She has a tremendous desire, tremendous hunger, a passion for souls. God, give me souls. 
and uh, she has applied herself greatly to try to prepare herself to be used of God for that purpose, to win souls. And she said, when Sally came up to her, they had evidently not been working together very long, or this had happened a long time before it did, but somehow or another they came together in the same department, in the same floor, in the same area. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how many days it was that they were working together. But all of a sudden, Sally walks in to where Tammy is on this particular day and on this particular shift. She said, Tammy, I don't know what it is you've got. I don't know what it is that makes you different. And I really don't care. All I can say is, I want it. I want it. Just, I want it. That's it. Tammy told us later, she said, when I picked myself up off the floor, she said, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And she said, when it, uh, you know, I, I got to reasoning with myself, well, this, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not it. This is not it at all. You're supposed to, you're supposed to whine and, and whimper and plead and beg and, and, and all of this business for about six months before you can ever even get them to talk to you about going to church with you. And then you work on another six months trying to get schedules for them to go to church with you at the right time and during a revival and singing and all of this. You know, you've got to be wise. And she said... Here, I had not so much yet as been with her enough to find the time right to say, Sally, I want you to go to my church with me. She hadn't had time to get around to that. All she had had time to do was just be a Christian. Now, the other was coming, you understand, but she hadn't had time to get around to all that yet. She just, uh, she said, Sally, uh, Tammy, I, I, I don't know what it is. I just want whatever it is. And, of course, Tammy was very happy to tell her when she picked herself up off the floor, well, it's very simple. I go to a church that preaches a little more than just the norm in denominationalism. I go to a church that preaches that Calvary purchased more than just a handshake or a card signed. I go to a church that preaches there's an experience with God that changes your life. And, of course, it didn't, it didn't take much for Sally. I mean, Sally was the one. She said, I had not even gotten around to invite Sally. And here in, Sally was inviting herself to go with me. That was between services and it was not uh, we were not in revival at the time we were not having nightly services so the next morning Sally comes back to the job and Sally uh, has got her shortened hair uh, balled up the best way she can in a knot on the back of her head and what pins and all won't do hair nets did you know and she wound it up to where she looked like.
There were a few sundry items that were missing from ears and noses and fingers and what have you, trying to look like Tammy. The pants were missing. No, 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 skirt was on. What, uh, what, what, Sally, I can't believe what I'm seeing. What's happening here? You've never even been to my church. I don't have to be at your church. I just know that whatever you've got, I want it. And if it's done all of this for you, I want it to do it for me. I'm preaching to somebody here today that's lost faith in the hunger of humanity. There are some people hungry for God. And I'm preaching to preachers that have you have worn yourself totally weary and frazzled out. Preaching to people that you've had to beg to try to keep out of hell. Beg to do something for God. Beg to be faithful to church. Bad to put in the offering. Bad to even pay a visit to Calvary. You've had to beg every step of the way. I think it's about time God is about to inundate His church with a hungry world that's ready to do anything. I'm talking about a world that's ready to cry out, Preacher! It don't matter to me what it takes. I'm ready to shuck or shell. Just lead me to the crib. I got somebody say hallelujah. Mm. Preachers, it would behoove us not to wear ourselves faithless, working on knuckleheads. We stay with faithless knuckleheads long enough, we'll wonder ourselves if there's a God in heaven. Find somebody. It won't be long till you'll be a knucklehead. Needless to say, first time Sally got to church, Sally, Sally didn't need no coaxing. She didn't need, she, she just needed to get in the presence of the Lord. Sally was ready. Sally got the Holy Ghost. She talked in tongues. She was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and she immediately set out on Max. Now, Max was a different story. Max had just a little bit different approach to religion. His hunger was not quite to the appetite that Sally's was. And uh, he, he didn't 
First of all, he was totally aghast at what had happened in Sally's life. And, uh, you know, he, he just, he was living, living with a new woman there for several days, and all of a sudden he found out that, that allegiance had changed, that he was playing second fiddle. He was accommodating, but, you know, sometimes king of the mountain, it's hard to settle down into the right place under God's hierarchy, you know. It's just a little difficult. And he, uh, he started kind of resisting, to say the least, put it mildly. And uh, <clears throat> Sally made up her mind that she was going to do for him what Tammy had done for her. So the best way she knew to make it operate was to find a place where he could hear her and get in the spirit. And so she did. And she talked in tongues, and she talked in tongues, and she talked in tongues, and she talked in tongues. She talked in tongues until that house was so saturated with the Holy Ghost that he 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 had to he had to give up himself. There is there is a you, you can stand so much you know. Well, to say make a long story short and beautiful story. Max come and got the Holy Ghost. Now that's that's just been what three months ago. Maybe three months ago. And as all pastors, when she came last weekend, Brother Ewing, we need to talk to you. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. My God, you've been the you've been the model convert, and now here we're starting down the slippery slopes into the valley of death. Oh, my my heart just it was thumping in my shoes. I, <laughs> and this is one of those not the case of squeaking wheels. And for the sake of tape ministry, I will say no more. But you understand. One of those situations you didn't put off until convenient time. You made time for this kid. Because you knew the hand of God was there. And if the devil was trying to throw a monkey wrench in the spoke where you wanted to get to it quickly before you messed up the wheel. You know. Well, <clears throat> when I made the appointment, Max was not able to come. He wanted to be there, but his job did not. But she wanted to come on. She wanted to come because she had to talk to her pastor. I took a deep breath. I said, Sally, come on. Here's the office. And I was a little taken back with a smile on her face, you know. And just I figured we were heading way down into some deep, dark tactics and secrets of the devil. Tricks the devil was trying to play. And 
when she sat down in the chair, she opened it up. She said, Pastor, I don't want to appear What's, what's the word I'm trying to... Taking things for granted or being... What, what's presumptuous? That's, that's, that's... Thank you. Thank you. She said, I don't want to appear presumptuous. She said, but there's something happening to me, and I, I, I didn't know... I just, I just had to share it with you. I want to talk to you about it. And uh, I could tell by the look on her face that it wasn't so bad, so I, my heart at least come up a little bit, you know. And then, and then she just, she just blurted it out. She just filled the beans. She said, "I know I have only been in the church now for a short while, and uh, and, and there's so much I don't know, and and I, I don't want to be presumptuous." But she said, "She said I find God dealing with my heart about foreign missions." I mean, in one way, a sigh of relief. I mean, tremendous relief. And then, in another way, in my faint lightheadedness, trying to figure out what's going on. God dealing with Sally, three months old, and Max, about foreign missions. You understand, I've been around long enough to know about these boards. No unkindness meant, brother. But really, our common sense tells you, besides the board, if you're the common sense, don't do it, the board will. But common sense tells you you don't go from the altar to the mission field. Sure, we all know that. And here I am sitting there trying to figure all this out. The mission field. And, and, and honey, look. You know, my, my human reasoning, I, I, I had two strikes against me because first of all, I was recouping with sigh of relief. Next, I was trying to figure out what's going on here. And then, just like God is so to do. Just like a breath. He just opened the whole thing up to me and I understood. And when I understood, somehow or another, I knew that I was supposed to talk about this at this meeting today. So it was not just something for Sally, it was something for us here today. And I started, I started in very kindly, and I said, Sally, this is not the first time that I've heard this story. <laughs> because in that New York minute, God had allowed me to remember some things. And I started 
said, Sally, you know, this is not the first time that I've heard of new converts coming to grips with commitments that would include foreign mission fields. I said, in fact, if you want to know a little bit, uh, a little bit about what I'm speaking, I said, your pastor's wife, Joan, was one in my earliest acquaintances with her, long before we became husband and wife, or long before we even became girlfriend and boyfriend, said Joan Clark at that moment shared, or at that time shared with me some desires and some inner secrets of her heart that one day her life probably would include a mission for That was in the early years of Joan's life. And then not only, not only that, but I said her cousin, Glenn Clark, he and I shared companionship in a high school that we attended for a few, a few months of time when his dad, being a missionary, was home on furlough. And uh, I said Glenn shared with me with tears in his eyes as a teenage boy about a dream that he had had and a vision that he'd had from God when he was just a child that had him on a mission field somewhere preaching to heathens. And I said, not only Glenn Clark and not only Joan, your pastor's wife, but my own daddy. My own daddy told me that year after year, the highlight of the conference was the mission service because it was in that service where he all over again was able to dedicate anew to God. God, I'm available. My dad always said the call of God and the will of God never put me there, but I was always willing to go. So I said, Joan, in her early commitments and her early consecrations and God dealing with her early in her life, she thought she would go to a mission field, and she's wound up a pastor's wife, stateside, that is. And we visit the mission field as often as we can to do what we can there. She's not a missionary, but Glenn Clark, her cousin, he is now in the Philippines an appointed missionary of the UPC. My own dad pastored this church until his death and never was able to set foot or preach a sermon on foreign soil. So I said, Sally, if I could share with you, I think probably what God is doing is in some of your early altars. He's checking you out to see. And Sally, I've got an idea that the call of God and the will of God in your life, it could, and then again it may not, include a mission field. But I said, I think what God is doing, He's checking you out with the ultimate of commitment.
The ultimate of the severance of ties. The ultimate of saying goodbye to homeland security and everything that I know in my raisings. He's checking you out. And if you're able to make the ultimate commitment now, you'll never have to worry about whatever His will would call for you to do from here on. And then the Lord brought to mind the rich young ruler. And I told Sally about the rich young ruler. I said, if you will remember the story of the rich young ruler, he came to God, or came to Jesus Christ, asking him, what must I do? What steps do I have to follow? What procedures do I get in on whatever's going on here? How do I become a follower? And all of the inquiries and all of the people that came to Jesus Christ, no one else did he ever give this particular answer. Not another. Somehow in his divine knowledge, knowing the ultimate commitment that would have to be made for him to be a success from that moment on, Jesus Christ hit him with the hardest thing he'd ever have to do. I don't want to. I don't want to throw any dampers or anything like this. But you know, sometimes when you get to the Bible way, we talk about being apostolic. When we get to the apostolic way, and we get to the Bible way, and we talk about being Christians, and when we get to Christ way, it's so far removed from our concepts. Now you go ahead and do it like you want to do it, but I'm telling you how Jesus did it. Our concept is that if we can give them just enough to dilly-dally them along until finally they get their feet on the ground enough and then somewhere down the road we put the whole load on I say again, you do it the way you want to do it. And I understand that there's got to be tact and I understand that there's got to be wisdom and I understand that utmost there must be love. But somewhere down the line, there's got to be truth. And Jesus Christ looked at that rich young ruler, and nobody knew any better than he what a contribution his influence would be to their rapport with the community. Nobody knew any better than he what a tremendous effect that his tithing would have on the coffers. Nobody knew any better than he the tremendous blessing that he would be in the overall picture of what he was trying to accomplish. But Jesus, in his wisdom, would forego any of that to save damaging experiences tomorrow. For he knew that if he came and cast a lot and then down the road would find out what he had to do that perhaps 
more damage would be done than if it was nipped in the bud to begin with. So he just went ahead and gave him the whole barrel of wax. He said, if you are going to come after me and ever be successful at being my disciple, what you're going to have to do is go sell what you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Not too much to shout about, is it? Kind of knocks a little bit of that shout out when you stagger at the reality. But you see, the truth of the matter was that Jesus Christ told him, now he didn't tell that. He told another fellow about foxes and holes and birds and nests. told different people different things that they were going to have to do. But this guy, he told him what he was going to have to do. And the very fact that he could not do it, did not do it, proved why Jesus had to tell him. That's why you're going to have to do it. You still with me? You're successful at following me. This is what you're going to have to do. I want everybody to hear me today. God has enough, enough sense to know what you and what me and what everybody else in this building is going to have to have in their experiences to be a success and to make it to the finish line. And let me cast in just a little injection here. It would be very, very wise for us in our bearing with one another. We love to bear with the weak. We love to bear with those that are, have not reached where we are. But sometimes if someone has gone a little beyond in consecration, quickly have knives of self-justification to say, I don't like that holier-than-thou attitude. We can bear with the weak, but if somebody has gone a little beyond in consecration, Sometimes it digs up a little something in us that we want to reach around. Well, that's not necessary, bless God. That's not. Why can't we let everybody be content in the things that God has told them? This is what you've got to do to be saved. I'm not talking about the doctrines. I'm talking about holy consecrations unto God. Does anybody know what I'm saying here today? In the name of the Lord, let's bear with one another. Let's bear with one another. 
And if somebody prays more than you do, don't come out with a knife of justification cutting them down for trying to be holier than thou. If somebody fasts more than you do, don't discourage them. Encourage them. Encourage them. If somebody has a standard and preaches a little more than what you preach, put your scabbard up and sheath your sword. Don't cut them to pieces. Let them go ahead and have the consecration that God has given to them. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because nobody knows but the individual and his God the consecrations that had to be made at early altars for me to continue on and be successful at walking with God. And knocked the life out of you, have I? You still with me? I've got, a, I've got an old uncle. That old uncle, for years, sat around the house and everybody else served coffee. My old uncle, no, thank you. Finally, Somebody got brave enough to ask, Uncle, Uncle Bubba, what's, what's the deal? What's the deal? How come you don't drink coffee? Well, I made a consecration to the Lord one time. And, and I was about to go into this big, big, you know. Now look, coffee's not going to hurt you. Ain't nothing wrong with coffee. God loves coffee. If he hadn't loved coffee, he wouldn't have made coffee. He made it first, and then we make it again. You know, I mean, it's, God loved it, and he made it. A lot of things God loves that he made. He made marijuana. Made cocaine. Maybe not the king, but the coke. <laughs> a lot of things God made that he don't intend for us to indulge in. Huh? Got to use a little wisdom. Got to place a little priorities. Got to have a little Holy Ghost. Got to have a little conviction. Uncle Butler, now you're missing out on, on a lot of blessings. 
You don't understand what coffee does. Man, when you get up in the morning and drink a cup with your wife, it just sends you into, man. Hi, <laughs> <Hi> Joan. <laughs> we enjoy that morning cup of coffee, and that, that cup of coffee after, if, if it's not too far past bedtime, if it's not before 2 o'clock in the morning to get to the bedroom, we're just about going to sit down in them blue chairs and have us a, a good night cup of coffee. Not a big deal. Somebody say that's stupid, but I'm telling you, it's a blessing. You can have all kind of fun <laughs> drinking coffee. <laughs> Uncle Butler, you're missing out on a whole lot. I'm just about to do that until. With tears in his eyes, he continued the story. He said one time, he said, in my early years, he said, there was a, there was a sick baby in the family, and he said, that baby was nigh to death, and the doctor said, there's no way the baby can live. He said, I went to my room, and I didn't know what else to say to God. I didn't know what else to do. I just, I just knelt down in that room somewhere, and I said, God! If you'll heal my baby, if you won't take my baby, I'll never touch another cup of coffee as long as I live. Oh, I want you to know when he said that, I'm sure glad I didn't say nothing about how good coffee was. I would have cheapened myself to have intruded on that man's personal consecrations and convictions. Mm. I submit to you today that early in the life of a child, will there appear features that will last that child a lifetime. You look at the, you look at the early pictures of a 97-year-old Pop Gibson, and I'll guarantee you, you'll see some features that he carries until this day in that childhood picture. Early in the child's life, there are likes and dislikes that last as preferences in that existence until their dying day. There are toys that become tools and games of children that become occupations that last a lifetime. I'm preaching to you today that there are early commitments, early consecrations, early
early convictions, commitments, consecrations. The Christian's experience that will last a lifetime. I heard, I read in the paper, I heard on the radio, and then I read in the paper the news account. A mother had written to the President of the United States, and I could not help but weep. And even referring to it, it brings tears to my eyes. A mother wrote to the President, and finally the script of the letter was in the news, in the paper in our city. And I do not quote verbatim, but this is the gist of the, of the letter to the President. Addressed him, Mr. President, and then she went into the, the uh, experience of raising her son. And uh, she first of all, of course, told that just a few moments ago, Mr. President, I carried my son to the train station and I waved goodbye as he now with the uniform of U.S. Army on as his apparel and the cap and, and all sitting just right. She said, I waved goodbye for now he is a member of the U.S. Army. She said, when I come back home, the impact of waving goodbye, knowing, knowing the inevitability of his being gone for a while and the possibility of his being gone forever. She said, my mind wandered back over the years. She said, I remember him as just a tot. His favorite toys were the little plastic soldiers and the tanks and the guns and the implements of warfare that were made in the form of toys for children and probably still in the ditches somewhere around the house some of those soldiers and rusted pieces of guns probably still lie some of the helmets probably kicked up under his bedroom bed I could find the implements of his childhood dreams in the form of toys all over the house and I don't have any I don't have any qualm Mr. President because that's what he dreamed of and that's what he wanted most and he is now what he's always wanted to be but Mr. President it just dawned on me now the concern that I really need to have and so I didn't know anybody to appeal to but you now that I have a son in the Army, Mr. President, be careful with the country. Be careful with the country. Don't make any mistakes. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying to you today? Do you, do you, do you catch the drift of what I think the Holy Ghost would like for us to share some of the earliest dreams and some of the earliest expectations 
and some of the earliest consecrations and some of the earliest movings that wooed us into the service of God were things that happened to us around early altars. I dare say that every preacher in this building today, I doubt that, I doubt seriously that you got your first impression sometime later after you got the Holy Ghost. Truth probably is that every preacher in the house dreamed somewhere in your early childhood of standing in a pulpit and preaching to people. I know when I was just a kid, I'd walk behind the lawnmower and I've never, I've never preached sermons any greater than some of those I preached the blades of grass behind the lawnmower. Some of my best sermons didn't have ears to hear. If grass could repent, honey, I'd have had a harvest. I'm talking about God dealing with me early. Don't tell me that Brother Kilgore sits here a last day product. There were early dealings of the Holy Ghost in an old school bus carting around over the country with his family, crying himself to sleep at night. I'm talking about some consecrations. I'm talking about some dreams. I'm talking about some ambitions that came early in our experience at early altars. Let's lift our hands and ask God. If you can make the consecration in those early altars, if you can make the consecration to do the ultimate in early altars, yes, Sally, if you can make a consecration to be a foreign missionary in an early altar, you will never balk at anything else he ever asks you to do. If you can consecrate to the ultimate at the beginning, you'll never wander or stagger at anything else that God ever moves on you to do. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. We know an awful lot about Abraham and his Mount Moriah. We know an awful lot about his offering his only son, his only son of promise. We know a lot about that. But what we don't figure sometimes is the ultimate consecration that was made when God called him out of the security of a homeland, when he said goodbye to the whole works and started out in search of a city that he never did find. The ultimate consecration was when he walked away from Ur of the Chaldees. And then Moriah. Wasn't no use kicking at that. 
My God, I've done made the consecration to say goodbye to it all. One more, one more step in the consecration. Ain't going to hair lip me. Have to admit it was a little, it was a little, it was a little hard to cope with. Because not only was he told to go to Mount Moriah, he was told to give that son, that only son of promise. It would have been too hard to offer Ishmael. Oh, it's not hard for us to come to consecration with offering our mistakes. I was sincere, Lord. I humbly submit to you that I pulled a boo-boo. Yeah, we all know it, Abraham. And it's not just that. Everybody will know it. In fact, everybody will know it from now on. Your youngins until their dying day. To the end of the world. To the end of time. Starting into the eternity. They're all going to know you pulled a boo-boo. But he wasn't asked to contribute on the altar of sacrifice to his mistake. He was asked to contribute his promise. Hang in there with me just a little while, would you? I mean, for this, I'll, I'll try to get on a little. I may have you so far down we can't even get up when I get through. I don't. Early altars, early commitments. Thurston said it the other night. The thing that prepared David for the giant was the early consecrations that he had made on the backside of the sheep coat when nobody was around. It was a bear and a lion. It's the altars of self-dedication that Joseph made in the midnight hours when dreams were coming to him like some kind of a projection. Those are the things that prepared him to hang in there until whatever price had to be paid, whatever suffering had to be suffered, until the ultimate fulfillment. I'm preaching to people in this hour 
I'm preaching to preachers in this auditorium. I'm preaching to saints in this building. Up until now, somehow, you have been flustered or frustrated. You have been oppressed. You have been depressed because you have relegated yesterday's experiences to childhood fancies. But I'm telling you, God wants to revive the memory of some of those consecrations and some of those dedications and, yea, some of those dreams at early altars. I'm telling you, they're still just as real now as they were when you first made them. Cold, dead, lukewarm, backbiting, rumor carrying, gossip ridden, churches. Somebody come along to confirm your weariness and they call your field of labor a burn over field. You have allowed the weariness of the years to tarnish the sharpness of some of those experiences you had at early altars. There's a God in heaven that's walking the aisles of this conference. He has not just come to those that are having revival. He hasn't just come to those that's got it going right now. He hasn't just come to those that have experienced the explosive growth. He's come to some of you that the devil has told it's all over. You may as well pull in the towel over your head, crawl in your casket, and die. I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. He's the author of the lies. If you'll go back to that Bethel, if you'll go back to Mount Moriah, if you'll go back to those experiences where you had those early commitments, the God that talked to you first will talk to you again. I said the God that talked to you back there We'll talk to you again now. It's not over. Somebody get out a coat, a handkerchief, a book, or something, and let's wave it to the Lord. Reach over with the other hand and touch your brother and say it's not over. Bless God, the Holy Ghost is still a-working. The Holy God of heaven is still a-talking. The revival is not just for them. It's for me too.
Hopefully you've been to more than just this conference. But probably some of you that have not been to some of the others and maybe some of you that have been to another one or two, you still come back to this one with the devil telling you there's no use, boy. There's no use. It's all over. It's all over. You came here frustrated. You come here, some of you so frustrated you don't even know what you believe. Let me tell you what you're going to have to do. If you don't know what you believe now, no wonder you're in frustration. A man that doesn't know what he believes is the victim of nothing but frustration. First of all, you're going to have to learn what you believe. Where do you learn it, preacher? You're learning at early altars. I may have told you this before, but I'm telling you again. Hold it just right where you are just a minute. I was raised in fact, I discovered America in a pastor's home. My dad was preaching this gospel before I was born. He made consecrations and commitments, first of all, the way he came to God as a 17-year-old child. He heard the truth under an old brush arbor that was pitched in his part of the country. God got a hold of his heart. He went home one night. He told his mother and daddy, he said, Mom and Daddy, I don't care what that preacher says. I don't care what ain't hun, ain't sis, and none of the rest of them say. If we go back with Jesus when he comes, we're going to have to have what them Pentecostals under that brush arbor have got. God got a hold of his heart. How did he find that out? He was going home one night after the old brush arbor. He was going home. He got down in the middle of the, middle of the gravel road. He said, God, if those people can say hallelujah and get that much good out of it, I'm a Christian, I can do it too. He got right down in the middle of the gravel road at Old Waterhole Slough. He said, I got back and I hollered hallelujah as loud as I could holler it. He said, those people under that brush arbor say it and they, you could hear it ringing five miles through the woods. He said, when I said it, he said it just fell off the end of my tongue. You couldn't have heard it at the road ditch. He got up right then and went to his mom and dad and said, we got to have what them Pentecostal people's got. It tore my grandfather up. He had just ordered him a new 98-cent Bible. He started going to that brush arbor with that boy to try to save his boy from false doctrine. He tore that Bible up trying to make false preachers and liars out of those preachers, those Pentecostals. He tore that Bible up, but instead of making liars out of the Pentecostals, he convinced himself that they were preaching the truth, the unadulterated truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I preach this gospel. I felt the call of God on my life. God dealt with me early. I was, I was, I, I graduated from high school, and I went straight into the ministry. In fact, I'd preached some revivals between my junior and senior year. But when I got out there in the real heavy stuff, man, we was running about 30 in Sunday school. Heavy. But it was heavy enough for the devil to make fun of me. Boy, I got up in that pulpit. I never heard no I declared, I declared that truth. I, man, I said it just like I'd heard my daddy preach it. I preached it just like I'd heard them fellas at camp meeting preach it. Man, I was tearing up the dead. The only thing about me when I get back home to my Sunday school room where I was sleeping, 
my hotel porters, Holiday Inn. The devil would laugh at me. I, I heard him. He's, he's over behind the door. When I got over behind the door, he's in the closet. When I got to the closet, he's starts saying the bathroom, but there wasn't no bathroom. It's the path. I heard him laughing. Ha, 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 ha. What's so funny? What you laughing at? Whoever you are. What you laughing at? And then he'd bring back a statement that I'd made. Jesus Christ can do anything. He'd run that by me. And then he'd laugh and he'd say, who said? That's real tough for a while. Did you forked huff, cloven tongue, green eye, slimy back devil? Bless God, I said. said, who are you? I found out pretty quick that wasn't going to do. He laughed again. I said, bless God because my daddy said it. Who's your daddy? I'm talking about a dialogue. Found out Daddy didn't care that much weight in that world. I said, Bless God, the Word of God said it. And don't lose your victory, but he said, What's the Word of God? See, the fact that it exists is not what stops him. It's the fact that it's used. So I found early, I found out early, and I, I, I went into a neighboring room. I looked up on a wall. This was in my first revival. God was stirring. It wasn't just a few of us in that church, but God was stirring, and there were people coming. And the devil wanted to—he wanted to—he wanted to abort what 
God, whatever God wanted to do in my life, he wanted to board it early in the game. I went to the next room, and I looked up at a picture. And it was some artist concept of Jesus Christ. And I realized that he didn't look just like that probably, but I had nothing else in my mind that would have bettered my mental picture. So I just looked him out of eye, and I talked to him. And I said, Jesus Christ, I want you to know I love you. I love you with everything I've got. I love you with all my life. I love you as much as I know how to love. And I'm dedicated to carrying your gospel and doing whatever you want out of my life. I'm dedicated. I'm telling you one thing. Whatever conviction you gave to my daddy that kept him on the field drinking water and asking people to cook him something to eat when he was hungry. When they were trying to get him to go to the Orange, Texas to work in the shipyard where he could have been hauling in money. Whatever it was, whatever truth it was that you revealed to him, that kept him, you're going to have to do it for me. I've got to have a revelation of your truth. I cannot preach it just because Daddy preaches it. I cannot preach it just because Brother Weeks preaches it. I cannot preach it just because our old home pastor preached it. I've got to have a revelation of my own. I'm telling you today, as sure as there's a God in heaven, and as sure as I'm standing in this pulpit, God took me at my word. I said, if I can't have that revelation, I'll go back to college in Lake Charles, and I'll be one of Dad's musicians. I'll help him there. But if you want me to carry this gospel, I've got to have a revelation. God came into that room and gave me a revelation of this truth. From that time until then, this, there's never been another question in my mind as to what it took for a man to be saved. I've never had another question about the truths of this doctrine. I don't preach it today because Brother Mangan preaches it. I don't preach it because Brother Ewing preached it. I don't preach it because Brother Tenney preached it. I don't preach it because Brother Urson preaches it. I preach it because God gave me a revelation of this truth. I cannot tell you that there has not been a few wins that have blown. And there'll probably be some more. But I'll tell you what I did. I made a commitment at an early altar. Live, die, sink, or swim. I made some commitments. And I got a hold of some principles in the Holy Ghost that I'm going to live by. Brother, I'm telling you, if you've never had a real revelation of truth, 
This is about the earliest that you can make an altar. But make you an altar and get a hold of what you believe. Get a hold of your convictions. Get a hold of your doctrine. Get a hold of what it is that makes you tick. And you live by that. So help you God until the last breath is in this body. Don't let nothing change it. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Let's clap our hands under the Lord. God, my God. I'm talking to an Elijah. Or an Elisha, pardon me. You hungered for the manna. It was cast in your direction. You hungered so much until it was rained down. It came to you. But somewhere in the enactment of the 14 to double the 7, you have become weary and well-doing. But there's a God in heaven it's telling you if you've seen seven there's seven more if you've seen ten there's four more if you've seen thirteen then you go to your grave hang in there let your dying breath be number fourteen is gonna come it'll happen it'll happen it'll happen it'll happen it'll happen it'll happen I'm preaching to a Joseph. I'm preaching to a David. I'm preaching to an Abraham. Earl of the Chaldees was only a preparation. You face Mount Moriah now. But the beautiful thing about God is once you make it to the top of that altar and you raise that knife God said hold it just a minute Abraham look over here in the bushes I've had it prepared all along it's just that I had to know that you loved me as much as the heathen loved their God. <sighs> the heathen throws theirs to the Ganges River and never thinks twice about it. And now I know that you love me as much as the heathen loves their God. In Abraham's mind, Isaac was just as good as dead. But friend, that's not all. Satan's going to come along, Abraham, and he's going to tell you that those, that sand of that sea you saw, you remember? And the stars of heaven. You remember that? You remember seeing that, Abraham? He's going to come along and tell you that was childhood fancy. He's going to tell you that you were just hallucinating.
What about it, Abraham? Are you going to let him steal your dream? Are you going to let him steal your promise? You've offered to give him Isaac. Are you going to let him take the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea as well? Not on your life. I'm going to claim it until my dying day. I'm going to have revival. I'm going to have revival. I'm going to preach to thousands. I'm going to have miracles. I'm going to have signs. I'm going to have wonders. We're going to have it because God confirmed it at early altars in our lives. I want you to reach over right now and touch somebody on the shoulder. And I want us to pray that early experiences at early altars would be renewed and rekindled in our lives right now. 